we are busy with um, with a whole probably we're probably going to carry on for quite a while still looking at the gospel how do we become witnesses how do we become the embodiment of the good news um, of this gospel of the kingdom nicely and, done um, nicely done so we I've, I've, has, it, uh, has it become a reality for everybody that it's, it's actually quite a big thing. It's not just running out there and trying to witness. Um, and it's okay. It's okay if it seems a little bit big and a little bit daunting. The Lord himself was prepared for 30 years and he was the son of God. But there was also a reason for that. There was a due time and a due season when he could be released into his ministry because of the requirements for the priesthood. Everybody remember that teaching. So even the Lord had to walk according to the way God's ways. God's God's God the Father set times. Yahweh set times. So what we want to make sure of is that we are ready when the time of his releasing has arrived. So generally speaking, as a general measure, we want to work according to a minimum or a minimum of three years. And after about three years, there should be enough in us to be um, of service to the Lord. And that brings us to quite an important moment this morning. Um, for as long as we can, we will obviously serve you and teach you and protect you. But for those that have walked quite a long road, you know that you have to shift over the course of this year. You have to start shifting in your mindset um, and treat everything regarding your discipleship as if um, you're going to have to go do it on your own. And we might be taken out of the equation or we might not. But what if? It's important. Important that we all have that mindset. We're not going to just carry on year after year. It's very important that we we break that church mentality. Mm -hmm. That we're just going to go to church every Sunday for the rest of our lives, and that's going to be it. Because it's not. It's not. We don't know. I'm hoping that uh, doors will open enough that we are only here a few weeks in the year. Not because we don't love you, because we need, there's an entire world to reach. And if there's resources to go, we'll go. There's certainly going to be enough opportunities. Right now, out there in the world, the world is starting to 
thirst. The world is thirsty. I met with Jan this week, and one of the things he said is he said uh, they're realizing that the world out there is asking questions. They're looking for the gospel. And um, and we 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 looking at the gospel right now. We have to make sure that the gospel that they receive isn't the other gospel. Mm. So, so why are we saying this? We have to establish a mindset, a mentality that we're learning to know. We're not just learning to learn. We're preparing so that we can become equipped. Makes sense? Okay. I know that most of you already have this mindset. We want to reinforce that. It's extremely important because all of us want to find a comfort zone. It's what we do. Yeah. Okay. Start us off. Okay. <coughs> You're not going to believe this. Today, we're only reading from one section in the Bible. How's that? Luckily, it's not just one verse. It's, a, <laughs> it's in a historic day. Okay, let's go for it. Okay. So, focus is going to be on chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Messiah, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I'm sure most of you would remember that we did look at this specific piece of scripture as well last year. Um, when we did another series on judgment with a different perspective. So our perspective last year was what are we judged according to? When is Judgment Day? How does it work? The details around that. Um, but in this season, we're looking at judgment from the perspective of God's eternal plan um, with this specific focus on the Book of Life. Right. Okay. So... To get to what this verse means, we're going to go all the way back <laughs> to chapter 4. Unless you want to say anything before we start reading. Let's just quickly see. Do we all understand what most Christians would understand? Do we, do we know? Do you remember what most Christians would understand when reading this verse? The accepted understanding out there is what? Let's quickly see. Um, when reading this, non-rhetorical. Non-rhetorical. <laughs> um, uh, let's ask you, Elise, on the spot. What, um, what did you always? What would you have thought this means? Unless you are saved and born again, you 
And if you saved, what does this verse mean if you saved? If you saved, I, I guess it would mean that I mean Christ already Yeshua already died on the cross for those sins. So I don't know, you would probably judge for the, the works that you've done, the good works that you've done on that according to God's will. See that's why we don't want to do a huge teaching today because of the, you, you, you absolutely verbalized the historic interpretation of this verse, Christian interpretation. It's, it's accepted throughout the Christian history and throughout the world right now. And people don't pause to think, uh, literally think about the the real reality behind that thought pattern. You see, because the church has preached that we as believers will also have to stand before the judgment because it says here very clearly, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Messiah that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. <clears throat> now, if we just read it and we don't know the context, it means that as believers, we're in the same boat as the unbelievers. Would it help if I read some of the other translations? Let's do that, and then we go to Bible help quickly. And yes, that's okay. it. Yeah. So, you need your phone. Yeah, I did the wrong phone on the phone. Okay. So, so let's see what they've actually done. And, and, and part of what we're going to do... Um, I'm on a mission to understand what Satan has done with the abominable Bible. The Almost I want to call it the, the other book. The, ev <laughs> the, the, dark, the dark translations. Ooh. It's important for us to understand because the, I believe that part of the abomination of desolation, <coughs> with other words, the evil that will cause fruitlessness, that will cause desolation. Imagine desolation. Imagine uh, 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 a landscape where, imagine the landscape after, the, or Hiroshima after the bomb exploded. Imagine the landscapes where there was nuclear meltdown and fires just burned everything to a crisp. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about the scene after a volcano had erupted, where not a tree is standing, not a green piece of grass is still left, no life. Desolation. And the abomination of desolation, if not defined as the false Bible, then at least the false Bible is a very important part of it, I believe. So let's see what they've done with this verse. So what they've done, we, we, we're looking at the New King James Version, and then what they've done, out of their understanding, they went and they translated it to say exactly what they understand. Yes. Okay, so the NIV reads... For we know, oh, where am I now? No, sorry, it went to verse 1. Sorry, sorry, sorry. 
Okay. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Messiah, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The New Living Translation reads, For we must all stand before Messiah to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Okay, what just happened to the gospel? That translate, translation just said exactly the opposite of the, the salvation plan of God. How did they reconcile in the Bible? Translating that verse in the same Bible that's supposed to contain the salvation plan and forgiveness of God. How the heck do they preach both? See, so there's a huge part of Christianity that's uh, on the one hand believing that God forgives them, on the other hand scared and fearful mm. of the fact that they're not quite sure how that forgiveness works. Now, if I was reading that Bible, I would lock myself in the room and stay there. Because doing nothing would be the only option. See how dangerous this becomes. Let's, that's why we're going to look at understanding the gospel. We have to understand how these scriptures actually explain the true gospel. Mm. Right. Okay, we'll come back to what it actually says later. Let's start off with... Okay, yeah. so let's go back to, sorry, I'm going to be on my phone because we want to look at some of the stuff from Bible Hub, where the words come from and so on. So, yeah, hopefully one day we'll have a screen back. Okay, <coughs> from the beginning of chapter four, keep in mind, though, we're not going to read from chapter three, but remember where he's coming from in the chapter three with the glory and then um, we'll just read verse 18 because it's going to be applicable in his thought pattern later. So chapter 3, verse 18. But we all with unveiled face. Notice, remember, also the strong reference to the veil here. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, since we have this ministry... As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Messiah, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Okay, let's just take a moment and pause, just ponder verse 4. So, <clears throat> lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Messiah, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Okay, so obviously there's levels to what he's saying here. I'm sure if we all try to visualize it, we can see it's like there's a level and then a deeper level and then a deeper level. And 
we see that the glory of Messiah is strongly connected to the image of God. So we're going to start at the innermost level and then work our way out with what he's saying. So the glory of Messiah would be kind of the core. And we see it's strongly connected to the image of God, but not the image of Yahweh specifically. Okay, strongly connected to the glory of Messiah. Then beyond that, we have the gospel, the good news. So what we're looking at is that the gospel is that of the glory of Messiah. Right? Because it says gospel of the glory of Messiah. So try to envision it. Like I want to say behold. Behold the glory of Messiah. <laughs> okay. Then behold the gospel of the glory of Messiah. And then behold the light of the gospel of the glory of Messiah. The light is the revelation. The moment where our eyes open and we see, we understand what the gospel is. But the gospel is not just good news of salvation. It is the good news of the glory of Messiah, who is the image of Yahweh. And so it's at this point we see very strongly where I don't want to call it our gospel, but the gospel that we believe in veers, starts differing strongly from the idea of the gospel in the general world. And uh, funnily enough, it's not so much about the details of the gospel. The crux is at the definition of salvation, which we're going to look at. So the, our concept, what we understand of salvation and about salvation and what the general understanding of salvation is, that's really where it, it differs in its essence and its substance. Okay, but so, yes, sorry. So although it's sounding complicated now, I know that um, this is at the point where our minds want to go into, it's get itself into a knot. But he's going to, Paul is going to very clearly unpack it for us. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what you want to do right now is relax your mind. Relax your mind. Okay. We want to, okay, remember. I just want to quickly look yes, at the way yes, we learn. Yes, yes. Everybody remember the way the eye works. Okay, what do you call that little dot in the middle of your eye? Okay, there's that little lens. Yeah, right, so you've got the big black part. Now, you don't see with the big black part. You see with that little dot in the middle. And that little dot in the middle. Is there a dot in the middle of the black? Do you mean the, the colored part? Oh, uh, the colored part, okay. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, the colored. <laughs> what? The big, the big part. Because <laughs> you, you know the middle part can go smaller and wider. Yes, but black. you see with that. But it can only literally focus on a very small area at a time. Um, an area almost slightly bigger than a dot typed on a page. That's how much you can focus. And you use both your eyes to focus on a very small area. And what your brain does, it colors in, it falls in the rest of the image around the one little spot. So, so look around, test your eyes. 
Okay, you look at a spot, you'll realize that everything around, it's clear, but everything around is somewhat blurry because your brain is filling in the picture. Wells is trying to see if they can see without <laughs> looking at. <laughs> okay. Now what our brain tends to do, our brain wants to focus in the same way, but we are created, we have been recreated in the image and likeness of God. Now God can understand all things at the same moment and know all things all the time. And this is the place where we are trying to move all of us to. If you learn not to focus on the one place in your mind, then you can actually grasp all of truth all at the same moment. It's the moment that you have to focus on one single aspect of it that we go into a knot. So what you want to do is you want to relax back and know that this is your truth and your reality in eternity. Okay. We are walking into it, but you can no longer. Okay, so Martinus is getting baptized today. After baptism, he can no longer backtrack and go back to some... It's like the space closes in behind us. Like um, uh, Indiana Jones mm -hmm. kind of scene. Okay, as he moves forward, everything closes behind you. There's no going back. And this is the good news. Okay, so... Keep it relaxed but focus on the big picture. Let's do it again. Okay, okay I'm going to read again from chapter 4, verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Make a decision. This also means that the gospel is no longer valid to you. Can we make that decision quickly? It's valid to someone else. Okay. His okay. minds, the God of this age, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Messiah, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Let's skip to verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh in the face of Yahushua HaMashiach. Okay, we're going to unpack the rest of this now. But so we see that verse 4 and verse 6 he's kind of emphasizing the same thing. It's almost like he's repeating himself, but not quite. Okay, so in verse 6, let's now focus on verse 6, and then we'll connect it to verse 4. <clears throat> so he says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. He's specifying, he's saying, it's the God who created heaven and earth. It's the creator God. It is the one God, Yahweh. And now also, we're not going to go into this, but remember 
the light shining into darkness is not just a reference to that one moment at the beginning of creation when he said, let there be light. We also understand that the seven days is an unfolding. And so this is a reference to a great reveal. Um, but we're not going to get stuck in this detail. Okay. God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light. So there's the light again. So verse 4 also says, the light of the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh. And verse 4 says, the light of the gospel of the glory of Messiah. But Messiah is the image of Yahweh. Okay, so Messiah is the image of Yahweh. Glory of Messiah in verse 4. And then in verse 6, it's glory of Yahweh. And it seems like he's replaced the gospel with the word knowledge from going from verse 4 to verse 6 because verse 4 says the light of the gospel of the glory of Messiah and verse 6 says the light of the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh and in this case we see that the gospel is not just a piece of good news of God wants to save you and God loves you but it is a full knowledge and the fact that he connects it with light means that it's it's knowledge, but it's also revelation. But there's a full knowledge. So it's not just that there's one little piece of information and that's the gospel. The gospel is the full knowledge of the glory of Messiah or the glory of Yahweh. Because that's really the good news. If we're going to look at the gospel as good news, it's not just one detail of a plan. It is... The revelation and the full knowledge of the glory of Messiah. Messiah who is the image of Yahweh. And now we've spent three years about strongly emphasizing one big major main truth. And that is that of one man. It's at this point that I just want to put... Um, I know that you guys, yeah. uh, all three of you on the couch there, uh, some of you have not been with us that long. Don't worry, the Holy Spirit will catch you up very quickly. Okay, but when we refer to one man, it is okay in the beginning to feel a little bit lost. Because it is the mystery of all mysteries. It's the biggest truth in the Bible. It is the very part of the gospel that Satan has fought very hard and worked very hard to hide from us. It is the, it's probably the most precious of all the treasures that we as a fellowship protect. So our mandate is to carry the truth and to protect the truth. And the one thing that we have that I've never heard anybody else speak of or try and explain is the one man mystery. Everything that we're reading today revolves around that. And so we'll break it open bit by bit, over and over. Okay? Um, so right now, have you n realized that what he's speaking about here is that it's like when you go and sit in a dark movie house, and all the lights are off, everything's off, and then all of a sudden, from above, the movie starts playing. So the image that's coming through 
eternity, the darkness of eternity, shining directly into your heart, your being. That's the image that we need to try and discern. And we are going to be, in the beginning, we're going to be like the blind man that's receiving his sight. Says, you can see, but the people look like trees moving. So you could see, but it's blurry. It's not seen clearly. And we, we first begin to perceive the truth like that. But at least we can see where the light is coming from and we start responding. We start moving towards what we are encouraging. The thing that we, okay, what are we, we're taking our faith to the next level for humanity. That's what we're doing. We're going like, let us perceive the light correctly. Let's see the picture. And the picture that's coming through is the glory of Messiah. So in, in order to understand the gospel, we have to start understanding the glory of Messiah for what it is, and then we can start to understand the gospel. Is it making sense? Now, there's something that naturally happens to our minds. Okay, what happens when too much light floods your eye? What happens to your pupil? Okay. Goes smaller. Okay. Now, this is what happens to our minds. The moment we start flooding it with light, it wants to contract, because it's more than we can handle, it's more than we're used to. <coughs> Okay. Now, you know that your pupil can also expand to let in more light. Now, your mind will learn to do that in the face of much light. Okay. Can we understand that? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, I can already sense in the room, am I wrong? Uh, is our mind struggling a little bit with the scripture? Anybody want to let me into where you are at? What's happening? Is it easy so far? It's not easy. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help because I can just sense um, there's, there's only a limited amount of words to try and explain this. But it, it's going to unfold very rapidly now. Holy Spirit of God, we're asking for your supernatural power because of your calling we know that your will, Father, was from the beginning to reveal to us the glory of Messiah. This is what we've been called to. This is who we are. This is what you created us for. So reveal to us this light. The light has already hit every person in this room, otherwise they wouldn't be here. Mm. And we have started responding to it. Thank you. Now we're asking for the supernatural miracle of revelation where we are allowed to bypass our minds and our intellect and rip our very chests open so that we can meet you with all of our heart, all of our inside, all of the spirit man. We fling open the doors and so that the King of Glory can enter. Lift up your gates. So do what a radar dish would do. Just turn it towards it and just let it flood your being. This is the only way to approach this. Okay. Let's carry on. Okay. Just to kind of uncomplicate it a little bit, 
don't get stuck so much in the wording. Remember what we're trying to find. We're like we're on a quest. And in this season, because we are very strongly trying to equip ourselves very effectively to be witnesses of the gospel, we want to be sure that we understand all the elements that make up the gospel. And so we are working our way towards this verse that is focused on judgment, but we need to now just take into account what else is said about the gospel preceding that specific verse. So can we go to the seven? We, yes. I'll read it. But we have, see, here's why we, we have now arrived at this very, listen to what the word says. The word is answering what we've been experiencing. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Thank God. <laughs> so, at least he's letting us know, look, you were never supposed to understand this. <laughs> On your own, out of your own uh, ability, okay? You were always going to need me to explain it to you. No, I'm just joking. It is the of the <laughs> 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 that the excellent of the power may be of God and not of us. So do we, we embrace this. Embrace it with both arms. Mm. Surrender yourself to this truth. Trust Him. When it comes to the great mysteries of eternity and of godliness, the glory of Messiah. We are talking about the glory of Messiah. How did we think we would able, be able to grasp that? The glory of Messiah. Who is the image of Yahweh. Okay. So it's okay. So we, we, we surrender ourselves to this unthinkable process. A process that we could never understand. We surrender ourselves to this process that is supernatural. Where he's going to reveal to us that which is eternal. Okay, what are we saying? <coughs> we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What treasure? Okay, let's answer that. Let's see if we can answer it. What treasure is he speaking? We're going to look at the word and and consider and weigh everything. If he says we have this treasure in earthen vessels, what treasure? Because if you cut me open, it's mostly whatever the contents of a dustbin would be. That's more or less. No. So it could be that, but yet he says there's a treasure. What treasure? Are we carrying? What's the treasure we're carrying? Understanding that revelation, that's part of it. Well, yes, definitely. Okay. So we're carrying something in earthen vessels and he calls it a treasure. Okay. That's you. That's you. So we cannot think of ourselves as normal human beings. <coughs> this is not us. What's inside is us. Now let's carry on. It's going to unfold. I promise you it's going to unfold. Just be patient. Everything fits together. So we're going to skip now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh. 
Okay, let's skip to verse 16. <clears throat> Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. There we see there's an emphasis again on glory. Okay, pause. Okay, quickly answer this for yourself. Check with yourself. Are you seeing yourself on a daily basis as in a process where whatever you have to go through to move forward with the Lord, to grow in the Lord. Whatever you're going forward or, or going through, do you understand that it's working for you a eternal. far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory? How does that work? What is it? These things should be part of our identity. So whatever you're going to go through to be able in the process to move deeper into the things of God, grow in the Lord, moving forward with the Spirit. It's working for you. What? That's you. That's you. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, has anybody ever heard anybody preach a gospel that tells people it's working for you a far more exceeding and greater eternal glory? And we understand it's us in the body. What's that exceedingly great eternal weight of glory that we're talking about? So it's, it's working for you, in you. Is this the process we're in, actually? What is weight of glory? It's going to explain it more. Okay. Okay. Verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. First thing I'd like to just emphasize or say at this point is um, <clears throat> to notice that he's not actually referring to a time. So we have worked through the revelation of faith. But generally when a verse or a scripture like this is read, there might be the assumption that the things which are seen is everything that's happening now and the things which are not seen is that which lies in the future. Maybe even the far future where all of this creation has been destroyed. And then he says, for the things which are seen are temporary. See, so there we have that, oh, so he's referring to this creation and then the things which are not seen are eternal so that's in the future once this creation is no more but it's it's not actually saying that 
because the things which are eternal are eternal, which means it has no beginning or end, which means that it is also now. And so we're right back at our basic understanding of faith. That faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's beholding that which is true now, even if it is not manifest in the way that we perceive the world. And um, so now if we just read verse 16 to 18 as a unit and see what he's referring to, what he's saying, and then we're going to move into chapter 5 and then you're going to see how this all fits together. So let's read again from chapter 4 verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though... Can we pause? Oh yes, sorry. Why is it so important? You see, when it comes to the truth of the gospel, it's the thing that we can refer to on a daily basis basis every moment that we it seems okay do we all know what it feels like uh, when our hope level seems to just drop so you didn't lose faith okay nobody knows what i'm talking about <laughs> we're with you we with you didn't lose faith altogether but hope just dropped so what is hope the hope set before us Okay, now, if the hope set before us, New Jerusalem, eternity, uh, the glory of Messiah, a greater glory that's, been working, that's being worked for us in Messiah, if that remains eternally constant, and that's my reality, that's actually what I believe, that's what I have, that's where I am, then my hope level shouldn't drop, should it? should remain constant, no matter what's happening here, because this is passing away. And that is eternal. What's eternal? If we, the moment you grasp eternal, unchanging, everything changes here for you. The moment any son or daughter of God grasps the reality of eternal, We've got to understand, this is what God is trying to communicate to us. Mm. This is what that light that's trying to break through our darkness, our darkness. <laughs> that light, that with all of God's mercy and grace and power and might and goodness... We're talking about Almighty Yahweh. He has caused this light to shine through, yet our darkness and daftness is so thick that it takes us this long to grasp the light that we're looking at. We know the light is there, otherwise you wouldn't be here today. The moment we, we get, we perceive, we understand, we enter into the reality of what eternity is, everything changes for you right here. Because this is passing away. Do you understand that that will not be any different for a single split second ever? than the full weight of glory. 
like the image of Messiah, him being the image of Yahweh, the fullness of Yahweh. That is what will never be any different. And what have you been called to? What is drawing you? What are you being drawn into? That. So what if we learn to allow ourselves to stay and remain? Okay, so I know that we, we didn't actually plan to put this much emphasis on this, but this is where the Holy Spirit wants to take us. Because, you see, we will verbalize the gospel after we have had a revelation of something that cannot be put in words. See how Paul struggles. <laughs> and he's doing well. And Paul... No one is better with words than Paul. And, and I mean, he's doing his best here. Now, I know that most people that ever read through chapter 3, 4, and 5 of 2 Corinthians, most people come out of it with maybe a 2% snippet realization of what they just read. Okay. Take a moment. Don't move away from that. What if you, as part of that, okay, you look at it, it will blind you. It's fine. Keep staring at it. Don't let it, don't, you can handle it. Okay, what if all that, that is eternal, that is the finished, everything finished, what if that, What if you could allow yourself to be drawn and kept in place, in position by that? Constant. What if that becomes what is determining your very positioning, your every moment here? Although this is passing away, that is constant. That is real. It will lift you right off the planet. The Earth can turn all at once. You're going to stand still just where you are, according to that. Now, I know this sounds crazy, this where we're supposed to go. Because mm -hmm. this planet is turning. It's forcing us to change positioning. Now, I refuse to change position. So if the planet wants to turn, I'll just lift right off it and stay where I'm at. Because that's real and this is passing away. Is it breaking through? Is the uh, starting to hit on? That's what See, the gravity of that has to be greater than the gravity of this cosmos. So take the gravity of all of the planets and stars in our solar system. Put it together. It has no gravity compared to that. Do you understand what that is? That is all of God with the whole kingdom inside of Him and all that has ever been redeemed, all of us, part of that inside of him. 
Here we go, chapter five. Sorry, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you guys want to follow. <laughs> okay. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens so he's putting emphasis here on the fact that because we're now looking at two realities in this reality we each have our own individual tent a dwelling place but in eternity we have a building which is now we're all living in the same building so there's an expansion but also a, I don't want to say a unification, but a oneness. No longer individual, but one building with an expansion. Why do you think that Satan loves the uh, wrong translation of many mansions? How the heck did Christianity buy that one so easily? When most of the Bible is placing emphasis rather on we have one building, one house, New Jerusalem, one dwelling place. Why would I want to have my own house if I can be together with the body all the time? I mean, if the Lord was, uh, okay, the Lord is eternally in glory on his throne at the center of the city, he's the light of the city, why the heck would I go home? If I had a mansion, what would I do there? Why would I go? What That would be an empty house somewhere over there. I'd never live in it. In all of eternity, I'd never go there. Not even like you need sleep. So do we get the picture that for us, eternity is in oneness? Oneness. Okay, now, so here, tent. He's using the picture, the... He's painting the picture so we can understand that it's not about, oh, this is a tent that we're going to put off. It's not really about that. It's about the fact that here we are individual. We're separated into many homes, many tents. There, one city. Here, loads of little tents there, one city. That's the main idea. It's important, very important to grasp this. If we're going to grasp what the gospel is, this is one of those things we've got to understand. For a moment, right now, for a moment, just use your, it's not often we use our imagination, but use your imagination a little bit of it, and separate that which is on the inside of you. If we understand the word says, this is a tent, this thing, it's a tent. Separate yourself from it and put yourself over there in the presence of God eternally. Then, if you are still seeing yourself according to the same form, in other words, if you still kind of look like you, then you're doing it wrong. Because if what is contained in here, okay, so, if you, how tall are, how tall are you, do you know? 
one eight. So if you put yourself in the New Jerusalem in eternity with everybody else and you're still 1.8, you're going to really look bad. Even Jason, that's a bit taller. So you can, we understand that what is on the inside of us according to there has nothing to do with the size or the volume that we have here. It's nothing to do with that's not who you are. Because that's the weight of glory. Is it working? Is it ringing a bell? Okay, let's go on. <clears throat> Verse 2. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Okay. So now, we're looking at the city, New Jerusalem, which is our dwelling place, our home, a house, something we're going to live in. But it's not just a house, a space that we understand it. It's like clothes that you put onto your body. It's something that you abide in, that you live in, something that you put on. Almost like it becomes one with you. Okay, more than clothing. Yeah. Like skin. Like the muscles and the skin uh, that's surrounding your bones. This is New Jerusalem. Did the Bible just say that we are longing to be clothed by New Jerusalem? I'm hoping that the, the solidness according to our concepts that we have ascribed to the city is starting to dissolve into something else. So if you've ever had some inkling of the glory uh, of Messiah that is radiating from him and radiating outward for a billion light years from him continuously without diminishing in power or light or intensity. So if you've ever had an inkling of the glory as a light or energy or substance emanating, radiating from Messiah, and for a billion light years outward, not diminishing in power or intensity, if you've ever had that inkling. Now, put yourself in the most intense place in that radiation. Being clothed. With our habitation. Can you sense at all that it will be flooding your inside, not just touching your outside? What would happen if you were standing right next to the atom bomb that was ex exploded in Hiroshima? Do you think it would just hurt you on the outside? It would rip through the center point of your brain. Now, the habitation 
that is New Jerusalem the glory of Messiah, our eternal state of being. So do you see what it means, not naked? Habitation, clothed, New Jerusalem, glory of Messiah. I'm hoping that we have just destroyed any idea of a building that you might have had of New Jerusalem. Yes, it's a building. But remember, our concepts doesn't work there. Okay, so have you been baptized into Messiah? So this is where you're at. Now go to the nakedness. Okay, so we shall not be found naked. Takes us all the way back to the beginning. So Adam and Eve were in the garden, and it says that they were both naked, but they didn't know that they were naked. And then the moment they fell, they both realized that they were naked, and then they fashioned clothes to cover themselves up. And so if we take that event and we look at it in reverse, then this is what we're seeing here. Mm. Is it was the moment that separation happened, that perfect oneness with God. The moment they separated from that perfect oneness with God is the moment that they became self-aware. So it's not so much that they were aware of the fact that they were not wearing any clothes. It's the fact that they were no longer clothed with the habitation from heaven. They were now individual in tents. And so if we look at that process in reverse, then this is what Paul is explaining here. Is we groan, earnestly desiring Let's read verse 4. He says, For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. And we have started looking at life. That life is not something that we have or something, just a state of existing. Life is Him. He is life. says that we, we do not want to be unclothed, but we want to be further clothed. We want our mortality to be swallowed up by life. We want to be absolutely overcome with our habitation from heaven. That is life. That is eternal life. Life is not just something that we get or something that we have or something that we do. It is a state of being. It is an existence. It is what Adam was before the fall. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is Yahweh, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Okay, Bible hub. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is Yahweh, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. This is where we get back to our focus on the book of life. Mm. 
So the book of life, our names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the earth, before the foundation of the earth was laid, before creation started. Our names were written in the book of life, which means that we were prepared by Yahweh to be clothed, to be one, to live in a building, um, have our mortality swallowed up by life. He prepared us for this very thing. And then it says that he gave us the spirit as a guarantee. That means that the moment that we are baptized, that we die and we are resurrected and he pours his spirit out into us, it is a guarantee to us that we are one with him and with each other in eternity, that we are part of that building, that we are part of the new Jerusalem because we also understand that the spirit himself is the father, the son and all of us everything that has been reconciled into Yahweh, all of that exists in the Spirit. And so Him pouring His Spirit out in us becomes our guarantee that we are one with Him in eternity, which brings us back to the hope that we can set our eyes on things that are eternal, that we can be renewed day by day. It's the light that shines through the darkness into our hearts, revealing to us the gospel of Messiah, the glory of Messiah, who is the image of Yahweh. So the Greek, actually the word, um, so it says that, and God has prepared us. <coughs> what has been translated as prepared is actually, God has accomplished mm. in us. Worked fully, by implication to finish. And it says God has prepared us for this very thing, that He finished it in us. And that's why He could give His Spirit to us as a guarantee. This, this is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the actual gospel. Is everybody realizing how the gospel has not gone into the world? That's why one of the signs of the end of time is that the gospel will be preached. By us doing this teaching, we are living proof that we have entered into the last times. Even if there's another 350 years left, which might well be, we have entered into the last times just because somebody on earth has verbalized the true gospel. It's been written here. You can spend the rest of your lifetime scouring the internet and listening to sermon after sermon. You're going to struggle to hear the true gospel. Because it says one of the signs will be that the gospel is preached. And you've now heard it. And it's so big, and yet our job, our job is to and witness to this gospel. Okay. We're going to make it real simple towards the end. But we're okay. running out of time. So. But, okay, the next verse would have always been 
would have possibly been one of those confusing kind of verses. So it says, so we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Which sounds like a contradiction to everything he's just said. Okay, so here's what the original translations were meant to say. It was supposed to say, so we are always courageous to find courage. That's that confidence. We are courageous. Knowing that while we are at home, that at home is, yes, it means to be at home or to live in a place, but it's actually a compound of two words that would mean to be in one's own country. To be in one's own country. And that word absent, we are absent, means to go abroad, to immigrate, or to vacate. But to go abroad, to immigrate. So actually we're right back at faith. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about Abraham in the same way, saying that they all knew that they were pilgrims on the earth, but they could keep their eyes fixed on a heavenly country that God had prepared for them with his own hands. But we also understand that we are pilgrims on the earth. And we're not to make that any less than it is, because we are here by God's will and by his perfect plan. And so... You'll do, we walk by faith and not by sight. But it says we are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You see, now the two start meeting each other if we look at the, the words that mean at home and absent. Now he's not looking at, oh, where are we focused or do I spend more time in the spirit or more time in the flesh? Am I more in that realm or more in this realm? He's not actually on about that at all. He's talking about that pilgrimage reality. I know that I'm one in the city, there's a building prepared for me. I desire to be further clothed so that my mortality can be swallowed up by life. But I also understand that I am in this tent by God's perfect will. But I am keeping my eyes fixed on the new Jerusalem because we do not lose heart. Our outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. And we're keeping our eyes fixed on that which is eternal, that which we cannot see, because the things that we can see is temporary and passing away. So why are we doing this teaching? We are uh, coming from what we spoke about on Thursday evening. On Thursday evening we spoke about being ambassadors, and that is the mindset we carry when understanding that we become witnesses on earth to others, but uh, we are um, teaching in this manner because we want to establish another mindset for being witnesses. And uh, so let's go to verse 20 of chapter 5. Mm. It says, Now then we are ambassadors for Messiah. Listen carefully. We are ambassadors for Messiah. So what it says, what is witnessing about? We have now sent, so this is what he's been talking about. We have now immigrated 
She just explained being absent from uh, what it says. Um, uh, we are at home in the body. We are absent from the Lord. That means that we have immigrated from the reality that we are always eternally part of that city. Yet He has sent us to immigrate to this place. And we are now at home in this body. And wherever this body goes in this world, another country, another place. Okay, so this body has become another country for us. Right? But we know that actually that's where we live, that's where we come from, and that's where we home. Okay, it says, so we're supposed to be ambassadors of Messiah. And that is why we place so much emphasis on coming to understand the reality, eternal reality of who Messiah is. And that's why we are so um, confident in opposing the translation Christ, because the translation Christ does not contain the substance of the gospel. We are ambassadors of Messiah, and Messiah is the uh, complete culmination of all of God's work and will. That's what Messiah is in eternity. What was Yahushua anointed with on earth? All of that which is eternally the entire kingdom, all of God, all of the saved, taken from being individuals into one, that is what he's anointed with when he's anointed as Yahushua of this baptism. So he becomes the witness to Messiah. So Yahushua becomes the witness to Messiah, although he is the Messiah. We become ambassadors of and to Messiah. Does that make sense? So I'm hoping this shines another light on what the gospel is and what we should be witnessing to. See how important it is that we first, that we come to understand. So yes, the gospel in its, in its early stages for us is very true. I was a sinner and he forgave my sin and he salvaged me. It's very true. But that is, in essence, a witness to Messiah. But if we cannot enter into the depth of that. So that's why the truth of justification, the fact that God decided to justify us, the truth of election, all of this has to be a part of our gospel. If we take a single part of the gospel out, we cannot be ambassadors to Messiah because it's all part of Him. Is it making sense, what we're saying? Um, okay, so... Now then, we are ambassadors for Messiah as though God were pleading through us. Okay. Now let's go on from where we left off. We are, so that's, we're not going to go too much into for we walk by faith, not by sight. So we were reading, so we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Now this simply means that although we are still there and part of that whole, that cannot change because that's eternal. 
we have immigrated and temporarily now are positioned in this body, okay, and we walk by faith, not by sight, means that we continue to walk according to the revelation of the vision of eternity. No matter what we're seeing with our human eyes here. So that becomes constant, becomes our constant compass bearing. If we don't learn to do that, then we won't be steadfast. That makes sense. So, in, in teaching overcoming, we, can, we do go through the steps of overcoming, but that's actually the big mm. picture for overcoming. Okay, now, we are confident, well, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Okay, why is this important? Because we're leading up to that scene where we will all appear in His presence for the judgment. Now you see, we learn out of this context to maintain a positioning and a reality here while we're on earth that lines up with our eternal positioning in Him there. Now, while we are living here in the body, in this tent, but we are eternally part of the great glory of the Lord. So you're part of His glory. He's working for your greater weight of glory, because you are. One way to begin to imagine it, but don't stop there. If glory is light and power and energy shining from Him, then you are part of that which radiates. But the radiation is not you. So you are a light. He did say you're a light, right? Okay, so that's part of how we begin to understand that. And the glory radiation is the whole weight of glory, all of us together in Him. Do you understand you're part of His glory? Now, while we're in this body, we maintain a consciousness of that truth. Now, when we appear in His sight, what was done in the body can now come into um, what's the word I'm looking for? It can come into focus. So now we can go. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. Mm. Do you see how He's bringing it together? So it's no longer a, when I'm present with Him, so I'm in prayer, in worship, in the Spirit, and then I'm absent in the body. There's a reality of that. We are living in both places, and very often it will feel like being in the body does separate us from that. Mm. We are struggling, that's why we're still longing to be further clothed. Because we have not come into the full reality, even, even with understanding and beholding it to, to the level that I have, I haven't come into the, I've not yet attained to that. Although, I can look at it, enter into the reality of it to some degree, I've got no idea to what degree I can enter into because what I'm entering into is more than I used to. Does it make sense? 
So uh, who knows what it's like when you fully enter into, I think that's what Enoch did. And then he was no longer. Okay, but do you understand that we do live with a duality, but we are supposed to bring the extremes of our experience closer and closer together so that we don't have an extreme over here just in the body, an extreme over there in the spirit. It's drawn together by understanding the true gospel. It's what the gospel will do for us. Now then, and then it's from there, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Messiah, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, what is it that we will receive? Each one may receive the things done in the body. What is that? Take time out of the equation. Because that's eternal. Yes, we will appear there, but the appearing is right now. It's busy impacting my life right now. That same appearing. Making sense. Hmm? So take time out of the equation. Don't think of the appearing before the judgment seat of Messiah. as some moment there in the future. What if there was this scene where you are appearing in front of the judgment seat continually while you are living on earth? It's very important it's very important to grab yourself, gather yourself for this moment. It's outside of time. Appear in the presence of Him, Messiah, the judgment seat with hope. Judgment is for the sake of... Redemption. Thank you. For us, all judgment is for the sake of redemption. Now imagine if you are appearing in His glory and you will receive what is done in the body. And that is impacting right now what you will be doing in the body. And you've been judged innocent. And you are coming into your inheritance. In His presence, in His glory. As redeemed in Him right now, you're not too concerned about what you did wrong. You're more concerned about worshipping Him. When we were worshipping earlier on, were you dwelling on the last mistake you made? Maybe in the first song... 
towards the end, we're thinking of your finances. We said yes. No. We're thinking of the ache that you felt when you got out of bed this morning. No. Was there an ache? Yes. What happened when we were just, 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 just receiving the faintest, faintest glimmer of glory on our faces? What happened to us? What happened to you? Can you remember in the moments? That was just the glory shining through our thickness. And it was glorious. Now, if that is a moment in reality, in eternity, you standing in that and receiving what you did in the body, how would that change what is happening right here if we could live out of that continuum? Here's the key. When does that moment happen? Does it happen better when we're all alone at home or when we're all together? Yes, it does say in the body, this body, but it also, mm. it's a deal it's in the body. Okay, so what I've done in my flesh as an individual has been forgiven. If, uh, if, if Leon is going to receive what he, in accordance to what he's done in the body, then it should go well with him in that day. Has he been a blessing to the body? Has he loved the body? Has he shown care and concern and love as he provided safety and fellowship and protection and wisdom to any of you okay now this is good news this see according to his positioning there his life has changed on earth hasn't it his life has changed significantly and that's where oneness is heading. See, without him realizing exactly what he did, he started making himself vulnerable to a group of people that he hardly knew. See, what he started doing is he started entering into, uh, standing in the moments of glory. And out of that, he started doing something completely opposite to what he thought he should be doing or would have normally been doing. It's because of the body here. It manifests through time and space. That's why these things connect. Now, out of that, that substance of something that we, not even Paul could verbalize. He had to use earthen vessels and tents and all kinds of pictures. Out of that, we now need to become witnesses of that and this. That's what the gospel is. Now, that's the best we can do. Okay.
from our side, this is the best we can do. Okay. Just as a probability, yeah. do we want to do this last? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, In closing. Are you going to move first or should I? I have no idea where we are. You better oh, okay. do this part. <clears throat> Let's pick it up at verse 17. Therefore, chapter 5, still. If anyone is in Messiah, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of Yahweh. Who has reconciled us to himself through Yahushua HaMashiach and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that Yahweh was in Messiah reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Let's leave it there and pick it up next Shall week. we do that one next mm. week? Okay, we're going to do that one next week, but go ponder. Uh, I'm sure it's been enough. So mm. is, it, is it enough? It's never enough. Can you feel this part of you? Who can feel this part of themselves? Can you feel how this has become less important? Is it happening? Jason, is it happening to you yet? This is not, I'm hoping this is quiet and this is working. So we want to shift to. Because the Word of God cannot be understood here. We receive it with that eternal being. And you can feel it, right? You feel it. Uh, once this is unlocked, once we understand to perceive Him and seek the glory from here, you can know all things. Can understand all things. There's nothing that you cannot understand. If you have received him, then you've received the word on the inside of you. When we open the book, we're just seeing words representing what is in here. You have it. We received him, he is the word. Do you understand that? It, it's, I think it was kind of the, one of the first things he taught me. So back then I didn't have a church. So I would go sit. Outside of Bloomington there's this uh, ridge that looks out over the highway. For some reason I liked praying there. I kind of don't know why. I would go sit, go climb down and sit on a rock and look at the trucks and the cars driving down there. And then I would talk to him. Actually I would sit. I would go like, I come here now. As soon as you, you say something, we can start, and not just wait, and then we start with um, 
It's one of the first things he told me. He said, you have... Because I, I said to him, the, the, the Bible is a problem right now because I don't know where to start. He said, you've received all of it on the inside. You received me. I was like, that's great. Didn't you also start quoting scripture randomly to one person? You're like, where did that come Never from? Never read it before. <laughs> so this is one of those things we can understand. We still have to study this. We still have to equip. We still have to seek him for understanding. But if you received him, you received all of this in one go. It's all inside of you. <coughs> so from eternity, okay, so... So, just to make sure we enter into this. Mm. So, there, <coughs> what does it mean being one with Him? We like the idea, we read in the word one with Him, but we still want to, we, we, th we think it's going to be blaspheming to consider ourselves one with Him. Mm -hmm. One with Him is one with Him. That's who you are. One. Very important. We are, you've probably noticed we're on a mission to go against that, the actual blasphemy of unity in the church. Mm -hmm. The Bible doesn't talk about unity, it talks about oneness. <coughs> So from that oneness, he now allowed you to immigrate and come live here as an alien. But who says you lost what you had there? So oneness, you know all things that he knows. It's not blasphemy, it's true. It's what the Bible says. We're just remembering. Who says we can't remember everything? Who says you can't remember everything? I know it's difficult in the beginning. Our physical form struggles to handle it. It causes all kinds of mental pain. It does. But it's better to remember. Okay, so what's the natural consequence of remembering who you really are there? So imagine, instead of placing you in eternal life in the future, because that's what Satan convinced us to do. What if we just accept the word for what it is and you realize that we've been put in time, but you are in eternity one with him there. That's why he's calling you. Okay, so, what would be the natural consequence of remembering more and more of who you were there? It would mean you'd have to forget who you thought you were here. Can't keep both. It's where the struggle comes in, because then we don't want to forget. We want to somehow make both identities work together. Mind. 
So there was this little period of time in every believer's life when they are a little bit, what's that mental sickness? Schizophrenic. It's true. Nice. We all, hmm? nice. We all know what it feels like. It's like, have you started feeling the schizophrenia setting in? Always really good to have somebody that's just waking up with us because they're in it. And it's schizophrenia. And there's times when you feel like that person again, and then you feel like this person, and you feel like that person, and you're going like, what the heck is happening with me? <laughs> Who am I? Is that happening? The two of you <laughs> fighting it out. <laughs> and you're just staying out of it. Again, like, you guys go for it, I'm over here. <laughs> yeah, so that, but now you know what it, the, scriptures, the scripture means when it says the spirit is in enmity mm. with the flesh and the flesh with the spirit. So it's two identities. Because as, as you're remembering who you are there, you have to start, the two cannot work together, it doesn't work. You fill a glass with water, the air has to leave. <laughs> it's just the way it is. And if you want to put air in the glass, you have to pour the water out. And that's what's happening inside of us. Okay. Arna, terugvoer, is het gecompliceerd? Not too complicated. Okay. It's helping of relaxing that little bit. And knowing that, oh no, this is truth. So can we understand with grace and with forgiveness why the church couldn't handle the true gospel? Mm. Why the world couldn't handle the true gospel? So the logical thing for that other per old identity was to create a gospel that allowed it to stay. Mm -hmm. But it's time for the true gospel. Mm 